welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm your host, Melissa Harris, and welcome back to our National Cancer Act 50th Anniversary Commemoration mini-series. Throughout this mini-series, we've talked a lot about the strides that the National Cancer Institute and its partners have made in the cancer research space. But in this episode, we'll talk about where a lot of the hard work behind that progress is happening. Although there are a lot of organizations, academic institutions, and groups that research cancer, NCI-designated cancer centers are some of the most significant spots where cancer research, treatment, and community engagement occur. So today, let's dive into the history and significance of NCI-designated cancer centers across the country. That history begins with the National Cancer Act in 1971. In the passage of the act, Congress included provisions that called upon NCI to establish cancer centers across the country to bring treatment closer to cancer patients who usually seek care close to home. Congress also saw the benefit of supporting cancer centers from the beginning because there were pre-existing institutions before the National Cancer Act that were already pushing to address cancer. NCI Office of Cancer Centers Director Henry Cialino explained more. Well, back at the time of the NCA, Congress was impressed with what large cancer centers such as Dana-Farber in Boston or MD Anderson in Houston and others were doing to combine cancer research and treatment. And uh, it required in the National Cancer Act that we fund these centers as well as others. Uh, I think uh, the original complement was 12 cancer centers. NCI responded by uh, introducing something called the Cancer Center Support Grant, called the CCSG. One of the first cancer centers was the Virginia Commonwealth University Massey Cancer Center, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But since NCI designated its first few cancer centers in the early 1970s, there are currently 71 NCI-designated cancer centers across the country. Although the cancer centers generally carry out lab clinical, and population-based research, different centers have different focus areas of work. There are three types. There are seven basic centers that carry out only laboratory research about basic cancer mechanisms. We have 13 clinical cancer centers, which carry out basic research, but also treat patients and carry out clinical trials, as well as population sciences, the studies of different uh, cancer rates and burdens within different populations. Finally, we have 51 comprehensive cancer centers. These are similar to the clinical cancer centers, um, but they have a much broader and deeper portfolio of research. They see more patients than, than the clinical centers. At this point, you might be wondering how organizations qualify to become a cancer center. NCI is pretty thorough about the grant application process. Dr. Cialino explained that it's a multi-step process where a candidate organization has to submit a formal application electronically to NCI. From there, a peer review begins where 15 to 25 scientists unaffiliated with NCI from around the country visit the center to engage in a three-day review process. The first night, the, the review team meets together to discuss what they read in the electronic application. The next day, they spend the day at the cancer center where they see presentations from all the senior leadership, including the center director. They tour the facilities if they want to. 
they follow that up by another closed session where the reviewers discuss what they just saw. And then they finalize uh, a written so-called draft summary statement, which summarizes their findings as to how the center did in um, meeting NCI's expectations for a cancer center. But the process doesn't end there. NCI has a standing review team called the Cancer Center's Study Section, consisting of extramural scientists. This group re-examines the draft summary statement that the site review team writes and undergoes their own evaluation process of what the candidate center presented in its application. From there, the study section assigns an impact score. This runs from a perfect score of 10 all the way up to a very, very bad score in the 90s. And that then goes to us in the Office of Cancer Centers. We look at the score, we look at the different components because every component in the Cancer Center Support Grant is individually scored. And we decide whether we want to designate that center as an NCI-designated cancer center. NCI reevaluates designated cancer centers every five years with this process, too, to ensure that the cancer centers are keeping up with NCI's standards. Whether designated as a new center or a renewed center, NCI will provide five-year grants of at least $1.2 to $1.5 million to each center it designates. Those are just direct costs. Dr. Cialino explained that there can be additional funding on top of that, so some cancer centers get over $10 million per year. And in addition to the Cancer Center Grant Award, 75% of NCI's research awards go to the 71 designated cancer centers. Now that we explained some of the nuts and bolts of how the cancer centers work, let's dive into what the cancer centers have done over the last 50 years, which is a lot, as Dr. Cialino explained. There have been so many advancements that cancer centers played a part in. Since we've talked a lot about the rise of immunotherapy throughout the miniseries, let's start there. The development of immunotherapy, the use of the body's own immune system to fight cancer. As that developed, NCI realized that to carry out clinical trials to test new immunotherapies would require a huge team of scientists and large number of patients to power those clinical trials. So NCI responded by forming what's called the Cancer Immunotherapy Trials Network back in 2010, and it's designed to bring together scientists and patients from across the country in order to carry out what, what are called early phase clinical trials, testing new therapies that, that challenge the immune system. Of the roughly 36 institutions that are part of this network, 31 are NCI-designated cancer centers. And they have developed and tested 25 new therapies that um, work through the, the body's own immune system. So immunotherapy is just one example, but there's more to cancer centers than that. Remember how I mentioned earlier that the VCU Massey Cancer Center was one of the first designated cancer centers? Let's use that as an example of what cancer centers have accomplished given their history working with NCI. The center was founded in 1974 and received NCI designation in 1975. Its first director, Dr. Walter Lawrence, brought a community of researchers together to look for innovative ways to address cancer when forming the cancer center, informing the foundation of the center and where it is today. Dr. Lawrence actually just passed away earlier this month at the age of 96, 
so his legacy certainly lives on at Massey today. The current Massey Center director, Dr. Robert Wynn, went into the story behind Massey's formation and how NCI's Cancer Center designation for the organization really lifted Massey's work off the ground. We had some amazing giants at that time, including Walter Lawrence, who had come from New York, had been here, um, was really one of the pioneers in looking at uh, getting beyond just general surgery and getting to surgical oncology and having a focus and a discipline on that. I think he had really started making those moves of how we would attack and address issues of cancer. Interestingly enough, I think when the institution got its NCI designation, I think it was like uh, putting more fuel to a fire. They were able to grow uh, not only departments that focused on oncology, but within the cancer center, its membership sort of exploded. They were able to get amazing uh, groups of doctors, which I know sounds weird right now, both hematologists and oncologists and surgeons to, you know, bring the best and the brightest from around the region. You know, we've gone from a cancer center that maybe had uh, 20, 30 people. Now we have over 250 people within the cancer center. We've gone from having um, state support, maybe at about a million dollars to ultimately this past year having $17.5 million of just state support alone. We've gone from having philanthropic dollars uh, that were obviously substantive to get things going in 1974 to this year having well over $15 million of philanthropic dollar support during COVID. So with the passage of the National Cancer Act, you can see how these organizations that wanted to explore innovation in the cancer research space were able to rise as pillars of progress in this space. The resources, support, and structure of the Cancer Center grant program and network really helped centers like Massey become what it is. For instance, as a cancer center, Massey has not only conducted clinical trials and research, but basic science too. At Massey, this has helped them understand things like the role of lipids in cancer, as well as other foundational pieces of biomedicine that can help us understand cancer in better ways. The center is also engaged in other work like the examination of genetics and epigenetics in cancer formation, applications of immunotherapy for cancer treatment, and more. While these are all fantastic examples of progress in research and clinical trials, one other critical piece to Cancer Center's work is in community outreach and service. Both Massey and the other NCI-designated cancer centers oversee catchment areas, or geographic areas, around each respective cancer center that it must engage, serve, and include in research. Although this is a more recent development in Cancer Center's responsibilities, I'll let Dr. Cialino explain the history and significance further. In 2012, my predecessor as director of the Office of Cancer Centers, Dr. Linda Weiss, introduced a new requirement that centers address in the research that they conduct cancers of particular concern within that catchment area that they designate. We built on this mandate in 2017 by asking centers to analyze their catchment area in great detail, such things as demographics, cancer burden, cancer risk, behavioral factors that are associated with cancer development. To do that sort of analysis, 
centers have to engage with people in the communities that they serve. We call this community outreach and engagement. Centers are expected to robustly communicate with the various communities that they serve, what's going on at the cancer center, to establish community advisory boards to get the community's advice into what they need in their populations, and to catalyze new research opportunities for center members based on what the center has learned about their catchment area. This has led to the most robust connection between centers and their communities that we've ever had in the center's program, and it has only been growing since 2017. This community engagement has brought new study and service opportunities to the cancer centers. We've talked a lot on HealthCast about how health researchers and providers have been trying to meet communities where they're at, whether in engaging them in clinical trials or making treatment more accessible. The community model that NCI's cancer centers established has helped the Institute and its research partners close the gap between researchers and the people they serve. For Dr. Wynn at Massey, the community involvement is one of the aspects of his work that he enjoys most, especially given that Massey's catchment area includes many underserved and diverse populations. When I look at my catchment, that catchment is made up of a diverse group of people, many of which who come from at-risk populations, either in rural areas or urban underserved areas. As a result, there is an unapologetic focus on leveling up, if you will, health disparities research. What do I mean by that? I mean by literally the interplay of taking into account individuals, taking into account where they live, the place and space, taking into account how all of those things actually impact the DNA and biology and ultimately outcomes. So we've actually had um, three main things that we are really trying to do. One, get a better grip on uh, how to really push the envelope on health disparities research to really, you know, again, reduce Uh, reduce the cancer burden for all people. Number two, we are really hell-bent on trying to make sure that we can get from a molecule to medicine. And that's under Dr. Septi's sort of leadership, who's my associate director of basic sciences. We're working day and night, really, in trying to get new drugs developed to get them to the IND part so we can get them in the clinical trials. I'll say that to you, but say that it's all connected with Also, not just trying to create a new drug, but trying to make sure that we're getting even more diverse patients on a clinical trial. So that is a major focus of ours is not just getting clinical trials out there, but getting more diverse patients on the clinical trials. So third, we actually recognize that a cancer center not only is a place of research, but a place of impacting policies. We understand that much of what's happening with people these days of not being able to get care, you know, is associated with uh, many times social determinants of health. Now, while we may be thinking about food insecurity and housing insecurities, one of those social determinants of health around transportation is something that I believe that all cancer centers in the 21st century should be looking as a significant problem. We know by the ACS and others, they've quoted that almost over 4 million patients a year either get delayed cancer care or just no cancer care simply because of transportation. I know it doesn't sound as sexy as coming up with the next, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, immunotherapy drug, but it's equally as impactful of making sure that we can get to patients and get patients from A to B to get their treatments and to involve them in clinical trials. 
Massey is also engaged in community education, not just resources and research inclusion. The education piece is huge because it builds trust between different people and the cancer research community. There are still lots of populations in underserved communities that have faced many health disparities and have lacked care and attention by the U.S. medical system. We've certainly seen this recently with COVID-19 and how pre-existing health disparities have exacerbated. So Dr. Wynn has really driven the need to build a relationship with these various communities to better serve them. Part of that, more recently, especially with the pandemic, has occurred through telehealth to reach communities that can't easily access Massey. But Dr. Wynn has also realized that there are lots of communities that lack broadband access. Addressing the digital divide in rural communities and other places that lack connectivity is an important area of advocacy for him. So we are actually starting to recognize that there was a significant digital divide not only in our urban underserved areas, but also in many of our um, rural communities. If we're going to actually reduce the cancer burden, we can't do it with just a miracle drug alone. We ultimately have to figure out how we reach people. So one of the major pushes for VCU Massey, and I think hopefully throughout the country, this will become a push of how do we actually advocate for better broadband? Because you can't do telehealth if you don't really have adequate broadband. An example of that is um, I tend to go out into many of these communities, um, particularly the rural communities, mostly because as a cancer center director, it's one thing to hear from your associate director of community outreach and engagement. It's another thing when you can go to the area yourself, see it for yourself, touch the people, talk to the people. And I have to be honest with you, the very first time I had gone out in Brunswick County, which is a rural part of uh, Virginia, my phone stopped working. And let me tell you, I actually do have a good plan and it's a solid plan and it's a great phone, but yet I reached an area where the phone didn't even work. So how can we expect to really have an impact on at-risk populations in either urban areas, uh, urban at-risk areas, like you know maybe on the west side of Philadelphia or in rural areas like Brunswick County of Virginia without understanding that if folks don't have access to our tools, it won't work. While Massey and other cancer centers are trying to collaborate with their catchment area communities, the NCI Cancer Center Network also enables the 71 cancer centers and other medical partners within their areas to connect, share information, and work together on different research projects. This way, NCI cancer centers can bring that local data, research, and engagement and scale it up to the national level where we can take a bigger picture look at trends occurring across the country within cancer and healthcare. Because I always figured that while there's a VCU Massey, I belong to a group of 71, and that makes me feel great, is that we have a network. So the funny part is, if I don't have something, or if I know that there's some other trials going on, I pick up the phone and I call. It's a wonderful network of people who are all pointing to the same North Star of understanding that there's, at the end of the day, only one team and one fight, and that's to reduce cancer burden. And so for me, being a cancer center director is incredibly special because I get to see a front seat to seeing my brilliant, you know, basic and translational scientists come up with those next innovative cutting-edge science that provides knowledge for the next drug. I get to see every single day 
how my team is not only engaged in outreach and engaging with the community, but directly involved with clinical trials through our NCORPS and literally these innovative partnerships that are happening within that network. These partnerships have unveiled different pieces to the complicated cancer puzzle. They've been able to study not only their own local communities, but examine how different racial ethnic groups have unique genes that contribute to risks for various cancers and other efforts that have required this network-wide initiative. When we look at the advances on breast cancer, as we look at what our understanding is now, um, say, for example, of African-Americans and some of the disparities that exist, it's because of the partnerships uh, between NIH, uh, NCI-designated cancer centers, it's because of the partnerships of our researchers that we have, uh, for example, gotten a better grip on understanding that, you know, an African-American woman uh, with triple negative breast cancer who happens to actually have more ancestry from West Africa as opposed to East Africa will likely potentially have a worse outcome. It's because of the research that's been funded from the NCI and partnerships, for example, with some of our NCORPS that we've gotten better understanding that endometrial cancer is actually not only on the rise, but is really, you know, even turning out to be more aggressive than we thought in some populations. We could not have actually had that had we only been, you know, a cancer center that with, with closed doors that was really only focused on the people right in our immediate vicinity. I actually think this issue, for example, of social determinants of health is, again, another perfect example of the outside world, the federally qualified health centers, the, the neighborhoods where people are coming from, you know, and, and, and some of these neighborhoods are quite diverse, of bringing these very important public issues to the front door and the steps of our cancer centers. We've had a pretty good look here at the research, engagement, and service, and commitment that the cancer centers have built out the last 50 years but there's still a lot of work on the horizon for NCI and its designated cancer centers. As Dr. Cialino mentioned, one of the biggest focuses for NCI is to continue growing the cancer center network to build upon the progress that cancer centers have already realized. There are still significant geographic areas of the country with large numbers of people with huge disparities in the incidence and mortality of cancer compared to the rest of the country that don't have an NCI-designated cancer center. We are counting on universities in these areas to develop new centers of cancer research that can someday join the center's program and serve their catchment area. To do that, institutions must develop funding streams that will help them recruit cancer researchers, open clinical trials, and engage the communities in which they are located. It's, a, it's an expensive proposition, tens of millions of dollars over many years to, to achieve this goal, but the payoff is enormous. Cancer patients will have access to the latest that NCI-funded cancer research has created uh, through the NCI-designated cancer center. For cancer centers that are more hands-on with paving the path ahead in cutting-edge cancer research, Dr. Wynn also broke down what rising areas of research Massey is focusing on down the road. While he and many others in this series have mentioned the power of immunotherapy as a nascent and promising cancer treatment option, innovation in vaccinations is also emerging as an area of work 
that holds more promise moving forward. This new era of thinking now that we've learned from the use of the mRNA vaccines, the power of vaccines and the power of vaccines in the fight against cancer, I think is a, is a, is a time, it's an idea whose time has now come into full fruition again. And, of course, precision medicine and expanded work on genetic and environmental factors in cancer development will continue to be a focus area for cancer centers like Massey, too. We've learned since 1971 that just learning about the DNA and learning about biology is necessary but not sufficient. I have this concept that we're moving into an era now where we're looking about how the DNA interplays with the DNA. What I mean by that, that your zip code and neighborhood, that your place in space, how does that and what data should we be getting and what are the metrics around that should we be gathering that could inform us better in what we do call precision oncology? For example, a 52-year woman that lives on the east end of Richmond, right, may actually have access to different foods, which can impact the microbiome and her gut flora, which could inadvertently and negatively impact her biology or DNA and her outcomes. Well, what do we know about those communities? How is that different on the west, west end of Richmond, which we know has you know, all the fancy markets, all the fresh fruits, all the farmer's markets, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is high time now to merge these um, two disciplines together of understanding the importance of place and space and the impact it has on our outcomes in biology. So I think this fusion or interplay between bringing together the ZNA to DNA is something that my cancer center is also addressing. And of course, cancer centers are also going to continue embracing partnerships in the future. We've highlighted the spirit of collaboration throughout this mini series, and it yet again continues to ring true across these centers as well. We can't do anything without looking at more innovative partnerships of better using, better leveraging the community health centers, the community health hospitals, the federally qualified health centers, et cetera. How do we do a better job of bringing science and bringing trials and bringing research into those, uh, into those units? That's, to me, what's happening in the 21st century. And I'll end with sort of saying, I think it's also high time that our cancer centers, if we're really going to do something about addressing issues on health equity, should actually start thinking about how we can better measure it and how we can better, uh, then from our measurements, intervene. And I think it's high time to start thinking about in cancer centers, not only in addition to having community outreach and engagement and diversity, equity, inclusion, but I think it may be high time so that we can, again, be the thought leaders in this and innovators in this, develop what I'm calling call a health equity report card around cancer that can be used, again, uh, for many of our health centers and many of our cancer centers to figure out how well we're doing or not in the fight against health disparities. So those are at least a couple of the ideas. Clearly, there's a lot to look forward to throughout the NCI Cancer Center program and network. NCI is looking to continue growing its network of cancer centers, and there are a variety of initiatives that these cancer centers are looking to take on too. Just to recap, these include a greater scope of research, further community engagement, and the fight against health disparities. These are clear pillars that the cancer centers have established over the last 50 years since the National Cancer Act passed and will continue improving in in the years to come. Speaking of the Cancer Act, 
We're quickly approaching the official 50th anniversary next month on December 23rd. We have one more official episode to the miniseries coming up as we approach that date, and it'll be on NCI's SEER, which stands for Surveillance, Epidemiology, and End Results Program. So we'll have a great chance to look at cancer trends and information across the country in one more large-scale perspective. Stay tuned for that episode and make sure to listen to the rest of the miniseries we've had throughout the year by following HealthCast. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to having you next time. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris and Adam Patterson. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.